Hi everyone, welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. We're joined this week by Mike and Lilac. Zach sends his apologies. We are failing to get a full cast yet again. But uh, on the plus side, well, it's not a plus, but this week we don't have any guests, so we do get to do a roundup of news, including some news that we didn't discuss because we were busy talking to the wonderful guests we've had over the last several episodes. So first item up, Fortinet invests $75 million in Linksys with a focus on securing home office networks. Um, many of us had some snarky things about the best way you could do things to Linksys uh, to make networks more secure, starting with removing most of the Linksys gear. That was uh, the most polite <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> but also, many of us were confused about uh, why Fortinet was investing in Linksys when we all thought that it was still owned by Cisco. And it turns out they haven't been owned by Cisco in a while. Some quick Googling uh, ascertained that. I do think it makes sense to invest in home office stuff in general. And so a, a focus on home office networks, endpoint security, VPNs, things like that seems aligned with this current moment. Um, what do you guys think? Where's, where's this going? I, I think this is Fortinet's opportunity to become more of a household name, right? If they start partnering with, uh, with Linksys. And, and I, you know, Linksys is... I mean, they've been everywhere for years. I think, um, you know, Cisco made a couple of consumer plays and never really cashed out on them. I think there was like a camera acquisition snap or something at some point. The snap cam, then, yeah. Yeah, and then they did they did Linksys. But or the yeah, flip cam, wasn't it? The yeah, flip cam, it. that's right, that's right. And uh, yeah, and then they did Linksys, and I, I guess that didn't work out. I, I was surprised that they, they weren't owned by, uh, by Cisco, to be honest. But I, I guess Fortinet is an up-and-coming firewall company. It's Firewalls is their main business right um and there's some fierce competition there so to get into maybe the household name become more recognized is is, is a way up and you know let's let's face it covid has has changed things forever there, there'll be more home office so linksys will uh you know sell more of their commodity switches uh commodity routers and, and then 49 can lay on security on top of that which i think is um is a good move by them i mean you know, 75 no. million, not too much. I, it, it actually makes sense. But yeah, I, I don't know how, how much Linksys is, is used. I think somebody in a, in a home office who wants to like upgrade is going to upgrade to something a little, a little more robust, I would say. And that was my doubt, exactly, is uh, when it came time to upgrade my home gear, uh, I got rid of the Netgear stuff and the, yes, the Linksys. And I went all in on uh, Unify Ubiquiti gear which is a bit beyond casual consumer grade. You wouldn't want to give it join, to Join the club. I, and that's exactly what I have. And I see more and more people going for, you know, going ubiquity at home. Yeah, but it's kind of hardcore. You wouldn't give it to a civilian unless you're going to manage it for them themselves, which is something I, I do. I have a couple of uh, other sites that don't belong to me and I can manage them all through the app because it's remote login, which is the sort of stuff that you can do with ubiquity. But I do think that there's a a gap right now in the markets between the people who just go with whatever their ISP gives them and the people who go all the way to the ubiquity or the Eero as the, the other popular system that's a little bit more user-friendly. And there wasn't whether the likes of Linksys just fall in the gaps between there. And it'll be interesting to see that. 
I mean, I feel like there's a lot of domains in consumer tech that sort of span this line, right? So I'm um, I'm a terrible networking nerd, like awful. Like I leave it all to my husband. He works it all out. I'm sure well, if I had literally to. literally his job, isn't it? I, I mean, well, he's a software engineer, but, um, but you know, I can handle... I can handle things when I have to, but I remember I was, you know, it was m- me that bought the first NAS drive a thousand years ago when I was alone and single. And, and now we, we continue to have a NAS drive. I've obviously delegated that to him as well. Um, but that's also a technology where the click above consumer is actually um, kind of hard, kind of kludgy. Um, and then the consumer options are, are basic, but rudimentary. And I think, I think of this networking market as sort of similar in that dynamic where anybody who knows anything is going to actually do something a little bit more kludgy, but a little bit more robust. Yeah, that that was kind of where I was going with that. The ubiquity stuff is absolutely bulletproof, but it takes a minute to set up and you do have to know your way around. I, I think Linksys has also lost its kind of seat because of all the cheap stuff you can get on Amazon. I mean, I mean, there are brands there that, and, and you know, people always ask for help. And I'm, I'm always amazed at the brands and, and the, the type of different, yeah, switches, routers people put in their houses. So I, I don't think there is one brand, right, uh, anymore that's as dominant. I, I mean, Linksys was quite dominant, um, you know, I would say five, yeah. ten years ago. I think we all have a Linksys router in our attic. I think that's just a requirement. Um, unplugged. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly with yeah. one of the little Wi-Fi arms broken. Um, but it, it's interesting because the brand itself, actually, I, I would say it's eroded, but it, it's one of the few known weird tech brands out there, right? Like when you, when you're actually link, listing the brands that are available to consumer technology, once you get past the really cool kids, um, this is actually one that, that people know. And so it's interesting to me how the value of the company has eroded over time. Yeah, exactly. It's become an also ran to be owned by Belkin. Uh, you know, nothing against Belkin, but the association is that several rungs down the the kind of the off brand adapter that you buy when you don't want to pay for the Apple dongle. That that's kind of their niche. <laughs> <laughs> Belkin marketing people call me. <laughs> but then the problem is, is that that then you know you buy these things we consider off brand or lower quality or whatever, and then. It's strange because networking and, and generally computer stuff, there's this constant fear that there's some ghost in the system that you're not accounting for, that the cable isn't good, or maybe that's why WebEx crashed because your Wi-Fi isn't working. And it, it's weird to me how we try to optimize for costs and then we're like, what what's going wrong? Yeah. And, you know, Anchor is the one to me that just makes components that are, I, I mean, I could browse the Anchor shop for, for hours because it's like all these little things that you kind of need but never realized you need it's completely terrible completely terrible yeah. but yeah. yeah do you remember the ibm ad for the universal business adapter this is like my favorite <laughs> ad ever. oh I yeah was, remember when they did the old ones with the blue bars on the top and the bottom of the screen and then they had i remember it was like a consultant that dropped this thing that was like the size of a basketball with all 150 plugs around it um, and it was build as a universal business adapter and it just had like every possible connector in it. I just I cling to that. I cling to that vision. It was a beautiful thing. That's uh, basically the contents of my laptop bag except it's all split out. I would pay IBM to give me the all in one oh. version. That's right. Um or you could go Amazon's route and decide to build your own networking gear. Uh so that was uh yesterday's news. They are they've always been 
in a difficult relationship with Broadcom, and frankly, Broadcom seems to be in a difficult relationship with everyone. Uh, and now, because they're Amazon, they've decided they can just go build their own networking chip and try to get the absolute best performance they can out of their gear. Uh, and I think that's an, an interesting play, and it goes on top of the, the Graviton CPUs that they've got. They're trying to do... It's a very Apple move. They're trying to own the whole stack, top to bottom. And that's uh, going to be... It's the sort of thing that only Amazon could do or very few other companies could do, but it proves how serious Amazon are about the cloud business. And it kind of highlights that this is the sort of business that you have to go big or go home. There's there's no middle ground. You can't be a little bit in the cloud business. Yeah, and I mean, it's no shock that they're doing it, right? And they're going to continue to to integrate everything and, and start to do do it all themselves. And you're right, there's only a few players that can do it. And it's probably the the big three cloud players, uh, along with probably Apple and, and Facebook, um, which Facebook tends to pretty much, um, you know, um, do, you know, do everything. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty, you know, there, there, there's no shock here. And with the shortage of silicone, though, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to ramp up as quickly. But then again, I don't know. Um, how much they 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 add capacity per day, but it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they're just going to continue to to chip away at at everybody. I mean, anybody who thinks Amazon's your friend, you you need to start rethinking it, right? When you start to look at that relationship uh, in a broader way. But I, I agree, probably Broadcom hasn't done themselves any favors. I mean, I, I would um, you know I would be bowing at, at Amazon if they're buying anything from me, to be honest. Yeah, especially with those volumes. Uh, Jeff Bezos's no, what is it? It's the your margin is Jeff Bezos's business opportunity. That was the phrasing. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> of course, these days it's Andy Jassy, and that was its own news when Andy Jassy steps up to run the whole shop, and everyone was wondering who would take over Jassy's slot at AWS, and. I did hear Adam Salipsky's name, uh, who came from Tableau, but he's an ex-AWS man as well. Uh, but he was not, I think it's safe to say, one of the front runners, one of the names that were widely expected. Uh, so whoever picked him uh, <laughs> in their leadership bets certainly cleaned up because the odds were going to be pretty long. Um, or did one of you call it to clean up on your office pool? <laughs> no, no, no office pool for, for who's leading AWS. I'm afraid uh, not. Yeah. Though, no. though part of me kind of wishes in retrospect there was. We did have a friendly uh a friendly list going. And yeah, like I say, I don't I don't know if it, anyone even picked it. I haven't gone back to check. Once I knew I hadn't won, I was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> um but I mean he's a, like I say, he's been doing Tableau for the last few years, but he was an AWS man before for many years. So he he knows how that business operates. He's probably going to step right into Jassy's shoes and keep it right on going on the same smooth rails. That's that's the expectation. I do wonder whether his experience at Tableau might be useful to him because one thing that Amazon lacks, if there's anything you can accuse Amazon of or AWS specifically, is that they don't have focus. All of the products are sort of offer doing their own thing, which has been their strength. Uh, it's, it's, it's not been a mistake as such, but it's the one thing that if people always cite as a weakness is there's no unified story there. Whatever you want to do, there are 17 different ways of doing it. And it's rarely clear exactly which one you should pick. 
and you probably want to wire several of them together and that just multiplies the parameter space that you're looking at and so maybe having marketed something like tableau that's a relatively straightforward proposition relatively straightforward user persona and everything maybe you can bring some of that clarity back to aws that would be my curiosity do, do you think that's really the case because i mean that's pretty bold then of, of jassy i mean if he's leaving that that mess if you would consider it a mess i mean everybody on the outside probably considers it a mess to bring in somebody and and tell them that okay let's clean this piece of it up i mean do you think that's possible well i'm not saying it's a mess as such and this has been a very deliberate strategy on amazon's part the two pizza teams and all that whatever sticks sticks yeah let's see and the whole point is exactly that you you try stuff and it works and uh amazon rarely discontinue anything as well which makes uh, unlike some other cloud providers we could name (laughs) who have their own graveyards but the uh, the Amazon user can therefore try something that Amazon has launched as an experiment. Someone can use it as an experiment and know that if they do like it, it's not going to be ripped out from under them because it didn't instantly achieve massive scale. Amazon is perfectly happy to keep services trickling along as long as they have a certain baseline level of usage. And even if they they don't have a clear place to sit that you could explain in one slide. So I don't think it's a problem. I think it's been one of their strengths. But if they could combine that with a better story of this is how you should do it, this is how you should be more opinionated, maybe that would help them take the next step. Do you think also, I mean, we we spoke about in our our 2021 prediction show about AWS uh, being spun off from Amazon uh, just to relieve some of the pressure. I mean, assigning... um, a leader to AWS who's run a public company, who's been CEO, who's who's had to deal with um, with the ins and outs of it. Do you think that's uh, figured into the conversation, or or, or no? Because it's, I, I think Amazon's been quite. Oh man, how, how would I put it? But um, yeah, combative with um, with with people and, and oh, those AWS maybe. news tweets. Yeah, that was amazing. Oh yeah, I mean it, it's. Uh, I mean this whole like union thing and. In Alabama is just like out of control. I mean, I think Amazon's kind of lost its its cool in a couple location in a couple of situations. But yeah, I, I, are are they planning to go public? Because sometimes I think yes, they need to, and other times I'm like, no way, these guys are just too arrogant to do it, and I I don't know how to um, how to read it anymore. I mean, they're so unpredictable. I feel like it's a financing decision at the end of the day, um, and not really. Um not really it's partly strategic but it's partly just the financials and what the investors would want right these people are beholden to somebody beyond themselves and that's ultimately going to drive this outcome i feel like the nuances of the messaging that they're putting in market i saw something the other day that that maybe like fell off my chair i i was scrolling you know doom scrolling linkedin and saw an amazon ad trying to claim um, moral high ground for for a minimum wage of 15 dollars an hour and across all their employee base and I thought, well, oh, okay, but people have died. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just a really interesting tack <laughs> to take. Like somebody on the PR team was like, let's see if this flies. Um, like, no, no, that's not going to work for you. Um, I, I think running an operation like this and as diverse as it is, um, when you think about even the employee footprint, um, let alone the business footprint, is uh, just a tremendous challenge and a tremendous outbound communication 
challenge to shareholders, to the market, to everything. But the only one big one they need to worry about is Bezos. And, and you know, he's still calling the shots behind the scenes, even though he's not CEO. And that's that's what's starting to come out of all this. So, you know, and that's where the ego comes from, because I think it I mean, there's no nobody's going to tell you that, you know, AWS and Amazon separated aren't worth more apart than they are together. Right. And but I think there's a there there is a Bezos ego issue that that needs to be addressed that at some point and he's always going to have his hands in 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 the pie of Amazon there's there's no way there's no way he won't it's just interesting because we've had other sort of let's call them charismatic ceo types in different organizations i'm thinking of like Andy Grove or Steve Jobs and i i don't think anybody ever reported any of them as being um humble people <laughs> <laughs> I don't but think you I, can be humble and get there to that sort of level. I I, I expect that's true. Um, I'm I'm just trying to determine, and it's hard over the space and time between Bezos and Steve Jobs to sort of compare and contrast um, because so much of the world has changed. But for some reason, this feels particularly egregious. Not not easy ground for uh, for Amazon to to deal in, right? So it's interesting. Yeah, the question is, did Bezos? Uh, step aside because you didn't want to deal with going to Congress anymore and all of that nonsense that no, I'm just going to go and relax on my massive pile of money. And uh, Jesse, you take care of it. And I thought like, it was, he was hanging out with his underground clock. <laughs> <laughs> that too. I've, I've actually drunk in the Long Now Foundation bar. It's uh, it's pretty nice. If you're in San Francisco, I recommend it uh, when we get back to normal times. But um, speaking of CEOs and CEO transitions, there was another big one uh, in the news, uh, which was uh, Pat Gelsinger uh, returning to Intel and making some pretty big moves. I think we already quoted him on the podcast when he was saying something about uh, uh, not being beaten by some lifestyle company out of California. It's an obvious dig at Apple and the, the M1 chips. But now he's uh, doubled down on that and committing to building world-class foundry business with factories in the US. And I think these are pretty bold moves. I and mean, it's undeniable Intel has lost uh, its mojo. Uh, and it's the writing has been on the wall for a little while. Uh, Apple's move and the, uh, once again, the Amazon, uh, the AWS Graviton chip have just made that that much more obvious. Uh, so it probably took a transition. It probably took a new person to come in to be able to say, look, the emperor has no clothes. We are in trouble. And and he seems to have done it in a fairly stylish way. He hasn't thrown the, the previous management completely under the bus. So it's a, certainly going to be an interesting move. Anything in CPU world takes years to turn around, of course, because of how long the, the pipelines are, how long it takes to stand up a fab and tool it and whatnot. But um, yeah, um, Mike, which you is, thoughts. Yeah, which is why it's ridiculous. I mean, he he didn't only come out. He said Intel is back, and and I think he said it's like back with a vengeance, you know. And uh, I mean, he hasn't been in the role more than two months, I think, or something like that. Okay, so um, they're going to spend twenty billion, open two new fabs, or expand one and open a new one in, in Arizona. That that's great. And yeah, the twenty billion is only the start. We're going to keep going. Um, he said the seven nanometer, I guess chips are um are are progressing and and they're getting five nanometer i guess back in um under control is is what it sounds like 
But let's face it, Taiwan Semi is working on two nanometer uh, as we speak and, and getting close, and they're trying to figure out five. I mean, th- th- there's no way they're, they're close. But I-, I can tell you one thing, there's a lot of energy probably at Intel, right? There's a lot of, you know, with, with him coming back, I think there's a lot of people that are very optimistic. The energy's there. Um, they're positive about it. So I think they'll make inroads, but I still think it's it's so far away. I, I mean, I, I I don't I don't see it. So to, to claim victory this soon, this early, I mean, the fabs are going to take four years to to build out. It's it it sounds a bit a bit ridiculous, but yeah, I guess that's how they're uh, they're they're approaching it. But I guess um, I mean, it's marketing, people, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you need, need people to he talk needs about. to say something. You need to present a vision. You need to I mean, putting myself in his Much shoes, as I hate that, it's the BHAG. <laughs> like, he needs a strategy. And if I were, I don't know nearly enough about this business, right? But like sort of standing in his shoes, you've got to make some sort of bold move early. And how many options are open? And with the transition or the concerns that are existing around supply chain right now, because evidently we can't get boats through canals, um, there's actually like it's a timely time to tell a story about american manufacturing um and it's a timeline that's so long that i'm not confident that anybody would even hold him to it like it, it it's very possible that he could decide to pivot in eight months and we would all say oh okay new information new strategy well he has said he will also use contracts uh, capacity in the meantime meaning tsmc and those new fabs will also be open to taking contract work themselves so it's uh it's an interesting hybrid strategy he's coming up with. And and again, it's a similar story to what we were just talking about on the Amazon side. Pat's been at VMware for a good few years, and that's certainly where I first became aware of him. But he's an old Intel hand himself. He knows how Intel is put together as a company, and he has that credibility of engineering that can help him put and can help him make the strategy happen. It's interesting to me that both these stories are bounce back stories. People that really earned their stripes at a company left and then came back and sort of in the context, in the greater context of how talent moves around the industry, I think that's just a very strange um, two data points in rapid succession um, of something that, that does make me sort of wonder where's, where's the new blood? Where's the rest of the talent pool? Why are we going back to, people who have been there before. I understand that they obviously have domain knowledge and expertise and so forth, and they're probably delightful people in all ways. But um, it's just interesting not to see new blood. You know, people coming up from within an organization and, and, and moving mm-hmm. up. But I, I guess the holes they leave in their respective companies get filled too. So um, I, I think the job market also has a lot of movement happening. But uh, to be happening at this level with so many roles is, is a bit surprising, to be honest. Yeah, perhaps. And we'll see. The Tableau situation is a little bit different because it's not an actual CEO job. But now it's a division head yeah. within Salesforce. Salesforce, yeah. And VMware maybe calls for a different type of profile these days. VMware is no longer leading the pack. It's the stable, reliable tech rather than the bleeding edge tech. Uh, so could be just coincidence. Could they be consider the trend. They consider themselves like a cloud company, and I, I have a hard time seeing it truly. But yeah, the spin is, the spin is strong with uh, with VMware. Yeah, yeah, I haven't attended VMworld in a few years now, but I did see it go from 
the cutting edge place where stuff happens to the mainstream industry thing to the lagging indicator. Oh, I guess it's mainstream now because it's been adopted by <laughs> the people who exhibit at VMworld. Yeah, I, I joke around that Dell is the place where everything goes to become legacy, but I, I think VMware is <laughs> trying to is trying to separate from Dell, right? The, that's what's what's trying to happen here because they they have done some interesting things at VMware with um, their acquisition of EloCloud and so on. So yeah, the Tanzu spinoff, yeah, yeah. So they they have some some interesting um, stuff happening to, to in the fight to stay relevant. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an uphill hill, hill battle for them, I I would say. Yeah, it's uh, got to be a tough time to be a CEO of of any company. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, it's never an easy job, I'm sure. But uh, these are particularly unpredictable times, and so maybe you know both Amazon and Intel went with the safe pair of hands who had experience, who had possibly relationships that they could fall back on, and that they felt they they knew what they were getting into and on both sides. It could be as simple as that, unpredictable times you want a familiar face around. Probably true. And speaking of familiar faces, there was one that popped up in the latest Intel ads. Uh, the Those of you old enough, which, in fairness, going by the demographics of the hosts, if our audience is the same, then <laughs> you will <laughs> remember uh, the old Mac versus PC commercials. Uh, so Justin Long, who played the Mac in those, well, he's back, but uh, on the other side, he starred in an Intel commercial in which he disses their Mac. And I thought this was quite sad, and not just because I'm a Mac partisan since way back, but uh, and there used to be, back in the bad old days, pre-Steve Jobs' return, pre-OS X, which had its uh, 20th anniversary uh, just the, the other week, so... Uh, it's now been around longer than classic macOS, if you can believe that. And But there were ads in those days where the PC would come in and uh, it hit you with something. Uh, the clock speed was usually head of that list. And you go, ah, yeah, okay, fair point. Or multitasking, mm, yeah, we can't do that. And, and this was the opposite of that. This was, a, what, what are you even talking about, man? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's, uh, it's funny and... Um... Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I think Intel is is trying to fight a battle where it's it's kind of synonymous with with Microsoft in in some respects and Windows. So, and it, and it's heading back that way from a consumer standpoint. So it, it's a bit it's a bit awkward. I mean, but okay, they wanted to take their their dig at Apple. Um, I mean, Apple's going to respond for sure. But and and I think I don't Apple think they has, will. That's not Apple style. No, Apple just gonna let it go. Yeah, not dignify nah, it with an answer. They're kind of sneaky, you know. It'll be in some keynote where they'll just, uh, you know, make sure. the comments. Yeah, yeah. To Phil Schiller on stage at WWDC <laughs> in June. Can't innovate my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah. Um, uh, and there was a clapback that did not age well, speaking of which. Uh, if, if you're not Apple heads, let me just unpack that. So that was Phil Schiller announcing the old Mac Pro, uh, the one that's uh, not so affectionately known as the trash can Mac Pro, that had a very brief time in the limelight and then became hated by everyone, including Amazon, including, pardon me, including Apple. Uh, they hated it so badly that they were going to kill the whole Mac Pro line uh, until the the uproar persuaded them, now oh, okay, we'll we'll do another one. It'll just be ridiculously expensive. It'll cost as much as a car. Uh, but there had been this criticism that Apple couldn't innovate leading up to that thing, 
And sure enough, the thing was innovative. It was just going in completely the wrong direction. So, whoops. <laughs> Let's hope they don't do that again. I don't think Mac ever, I don't think Apple ever saw itself competing with Intel so much as with Windows, right? And, and so, right. and then consumers see that oh, too, with by the, the way. Like, with the combination, like the that was a, yeah, but there was a combination. That was the thing that people missed, even uh, up until just last year when Mac said Intel chips, it never said Intel inside, and they were, that wasn't the basis that they were competing on. But you could yeah. also put Windows on on a Mac, and it was still a better machine because it also had the hardware. It was the combo of hardware and software, and everyone who looks at it through just one of those lenses missed the point and said, oh, it's overpriced hardware. Yes, but it also has the software. Uh, oh, it's just fancy software. Yes, but it's running on this hardware. It's the, the combination that made it special. Still does, still does with the M1. I think Dominic's in the church of Apple, so I... Yeah, I got my tattoo. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would I would agree with that, uh, Lilac, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll see. WWDC has been announced for June, uh, early June, 7th uh, to 10th of June. So that's when the announcements will come, and no doubt we'll discuss them. And we may even have recommendations about the products they'll announce. I'm certainly looking for a couple of things and uh, saving up. I'll smash the piggy bank after that. But uh, I do have one recommendation uh, for today. Um, just because it's come up several times in various places, um, talk about RSS readers. And RSS is this technology that just refuses to die. Google tried their best to kill it when they killed Google Reader. And people just like having one place to read their stuff and subscribe to blogs and things. Uh, I use a tool called Newsblur. It has a free tier, which is good enough to be useful. I use the paid tier because I subscribe to a lot of stuff. And one interesting thing you can do with Newsblur is one of the things, the latest thing that people thought would kill RSS is newsletters. But then people realize, oh, they just clog your inbox, like we were discussing last week with Grace. And if you haven't listened to that episode, it was a good one. Scroll back and uh, check that one out. Because they just pile up in your inbox and guilt you. And you're like, oh, God, and I'm going to read this newsletter sometime. I'm not going to delete it. I'm going to get back to it, honestly. What's even better than that is you can pipe them into Newsblur. And so they'll just be another feed like a blog. And you can get to them when you have time instead of having them sit in your inbox with the little red dot glaring at you. Uh, and that can even include my newsletter that I just launched. Uh, it's just because Twitter has this new integration with Review that they bought. So I thought I'd try that out. Uh, so if you're interested, you can sign up there. Do you guys have any recommendations to share this week? I, I would say, you know, I'm going to plug another podcast here because I, I started listening to... Oh, I'll even hand it off you. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so the Tim Ferriss show, uh, he, he's, I mean, really long podcast. I mean, the one I'm going to recommend here is, is three hours long, but he interviewed Balaji... Sir Nivasan, and honestly, it kind of like mind blowing. I think uh, great episode. I'm I'm only about an hour in, but um, yeah, I, I would recommend everybody uh, listen to that. And and also, Dominic, you you mentioned Twitter, but Twitter's starting to become where I get my news. So I think um, I don't know what Twitter's done, but they've they've modified the algorithm somewhat because they they're going through a bit of a renaissance. Yeah. It might be because they kick somebody off, but yeah. That, <laughs> some unnamed person. Yes. Yeah, some unnamed person, yeah. And Lilac, anything from your side? Oh, gosh, I'm just trying to keep afloat right now. I am. Um, so, no, I don't have any recommendations except um, put an end to this matzo eating in the next few days because it is going to kill me. It's coming up. It's coming soon. Any second now. 
Yeah. Well, this year it happens that a whole ton of holidays are falling all together that uh, are in nominally independent of each other. So whichever ones you celebrate, uh, celebrate them in style and safety with your family and if you live somewhere where that's safe with your friends. But otherwise, we will talk to you next week. In the meantime, follow the show on Twitter at Roll for Enterprise or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, our theme music is by my good friend Renato Podesta. And as ever, please do send us suggestions for topics to cover and all guests that we should invite uh, to future episodes. Thank you so much to Mike and Lilac. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye.